Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Hi, I'm Kathy Barrett, and welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we travel down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. And life is something we shouldn't do alone. So spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain this week. Today's topic, womenopause. There are women suffering unnecessarily because of menopause symptoms. And there's also a great deal of confusion and fear surrounding hormones and whether or not to take them. Today's show, we will be discussing these issues, the stages of menopause, symptoms, and treatment options. And this show is not a recommendation for treatment, as each of us is unique, and it's really up to you and your health care provider to determine what's best for you. But we will begin a dialogue that will hopefully supply you with the information you need to make those choices. Most importantly, though, I really hope to bring you comfort and a feeling of sisterhood in this, as you are not alone. I'm part of the club. So call me at 714-409-0539 if you have a question. We're going to take one or two questions uh, on the show today. With us are special guests, Drs. Laver Wilf Miller and David C. Miller, wife and husband physicians from Indiana, and also the authors of a new book called Woman of Pause, Stop Pausing, Start Living, Feeling Fit, Feminine, and Fabulous in Four Weeks. Lavera is a board-certified OBGYN and a certified menopause practitioner whose practice specializes in gynecology and the treatment of peri, meno, and post-menopause. David is a board-certified pain specialist who is the president of Woodland Pain Center in Michigan City, Indiana. His practice specializes in the evaluation and treatment of chronic pain, and he is also a certified menopause practitioner. If you go to their website, www.womenopausebook.com, it will refer you to their interactive site on womenopause as well as their podcasts and individual practices. Welcome, Doctors Lavora and David, and thank you for coming to the show today. Thank you very much for having us. It's a joy to be here. Thanks. Lavora, what inspired you to specialize in menopause in your practice? When I first got out of my residency and started seeing women, um, I realized that there was huge part missing, that there were prevalent myths that needed to be clarified, and um, it's kind of been a hush-hush subject, and so I've really enjoyed empowering women to um, help themselves and get well. And there is a lot of controversy surrounding this, so let's let's get right to it. And basically it was kind of began in 2002 with a hormone study that was done by the Women's Health Initiative. And it was a study um, that focused on strategies for preventing heart disease, breast cancer, and uh, colorectal cancer and osteoporosis in postmenopausal women. So this it was a 15-year project sponsored by the National Institute of Health. It involved uh, over 161,000 women that were aged 50 to 79, and it was the most far-reaching clinical trial of women's health ever undertaken in the U.S. at that point. Uh, it was broken down into three components, 
one of which was hormone therapy, uh, the second dietary modification, and the third calcium and vitamin D. Now, the results of that study were not favorable to taking hormones as it showed increases in heart disease and breast cancer. So let's tackle this first. In your book, you talk about some issues you have with this study. What is uh, your philosophy about the findings and, in general, about taking hormones? First, I would say that, you know, our our opinions about this whole controversy of hormone therapy and heart disease and breast cancer, we really just subscribe to the mainstream um, hormone therapy specialists of the world, both the North American Menopause Society, the Endocrine Society, and the International Menopause Society. All three of those organizations, and you can uh, follow their websites, uh, they, they publish a lot of stuff for uh, health consumers. Uh, all of them have gone to great lengths to uh, explain why that study does not really pertain to the normal hormone um, potential user at, at menopause. Because the WHI wanted to streamline and look at heart disease, they chose to look only at older women. So the average age was uh, 63 or 64 years old. And so these were women who had not had any hormones for one or two decades, and then they started on hormone therapy. And they also only chose women who did not have symptoms because they didn't want them to be confused with the placebo. So if they were having hot flashes and they took the active drug, they were no, they would be on active drug. So to get away from it, they chose older women and women who did not have any symptoms at all. Essentially, they gave the wrong hormones to the wrong women at the wrong age for the wrong reasons. And... Now, since they've divided up those women and put them into the window of opportunity, which we call age 40 to 60, and when they went back and just looked at them separately, they actually uh-huh. had a decrease in heart disease by 50%. They actually had a decrease in osteoporosis. The slight increase in breast cancer were, was only with the ones on progestogen, and still it wasn't statistically significant. When they did the second arm study, those people actually had a 26% decrease in breast cancer in all three age groups, not just taking the window of opportunity, but in all three age groups, which is the window of opportunity, then the ones between 60 and 70, that's where there's zero risk but zero benefit also. And then over age 70, there becomes risk. But with with breast cancer, it's just the opposite. It's the decrease of 24 to 26% is in all three age groups and has persisted for 10 years even after the study. And that's the part that doesn't hit the news. It, it's too good a news. Right, and that's 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 why I wanted to kind of tackle that out of the gate before we get into your your book and the Women of Pause makeover, because there is a lot of confusion out there. And you know, just this week myself researching, I went to all the website, read all the information, but it is. I mean, one site kind of contradicts the next site. You know, I mean, I'm sure as doctors you have access to <laughs> the clinical studies, but for the average person that's just googling information, you know what I'm saying? It's it's really confusing. There's a lot to absorb, and I can see why a lot of people are kind of, you know, sitting in fear about it. So, well, let me ask you something. How long do you – let's let's start with perimen, uh, perimenopause. What okay. age does perimenopause begin? And explain what is happening to our bodies at that time. Okay, approximately at age 40. It's going to be different for every girl, and it can't even start in her late 30s. But 
it's usually approximately age 40, and during that time, her periods at the beginning, with what we call the early perimenopause time, her periods just differ a little bit. They may come a little early, may come a little late, um, but maybe three or four days early is maybe the most common situation. And then in the late perimenopause, they actually will start to skip periods or be very late for a period, however they want to look at it, um, and because they're not ovulating every time, or sometimes they even double ovulate, and they get these really heavy periods. So there's a lot of things that are changing. And then at approximately age 51, plus or minus 10, you have your very last yeah. period. But you don't know that because you've been skipping them. So you have to wait one year, and then you say, aha, I celebrated my menopause a year ago and didn't know it. And then after menopause, it's not menopause anymore. It's called postmenopause, and we like to call it the upside because the only thing ending is your period. Everything else is beginning. Mm, I like that. I like that very much. So should women get tested to find out what their levels are before beginning, you know, a treatment? You know, that's another highly controversial subject you know, as far as the um, – what you would Google and find on the Internet. In, in conventional medical care, you really hardly ever have to test hormones because women's uh, endocrine system is highly regulated and it has an end organ, the uterus, that you know will proliferate and, and then bleed every month. And then when that's happening, you know that the endocrine system is completely in tuned and working well. When a person uh, hits um, perimenopause, uh, like Lavera said, the ovaries will secrete erratic amounts of estrogen and progesterone instead of that rhythmic, reliable part, and they get all these huge fluctuations of hormones. So in a, in a woman, in, a, in the same day, she may have an estrogen level that's 5 or 500 or even 1,000 um, within the same day. So if you check a blood level, it doesn't really... You'd have to have a continuous reading 24 hours a day to really know what's going on. So you know what's going on because of the symptoms. But when the estrogen uh, fluctuates so hugely like that, women get hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, uh, changes in cognition, and, and changes in their mood, kind of like PMS. Vaginal dryness. And the thing is you don't need to treat it unless they are having symptoms. So if they're not having symptoms and going through this, you don't need to diagnose it either because you don't need to treat it at that point. Right. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned some of the symptoms, but there's also uh, skin problems, uh, insomnia, um, pain, uh, you know, during intercourse, uh, what you refer to as vagina Sahara, which I love, and lower no sex drive, um, which definitely impacts a lot of women. And this is something that I find women are very reluctant to, to speak about. So, if we're having those symptoms, what do you suggest at this point? Is it different in perimenopause than it would be in post? Well, it, vaginal dryness, the vagina sahara, is actually something that can begin any time during perimenopause. And then from that point, because you're always having these droppings of the estrogen, but then when it stays down and stays low at menopause, then the symptoms will get worse. And a lot of people don't even know to connect it with that perimenopause time because they're still having their periods and they're not even thinking about menopause per se. But um, it, it is a, a problem because of the low estrogen and it's very, very treatable. And it's interesting because they 
polled a bunch of women and found out that 70% don't think that their um, doctor could even discuss it because they think their doctor would be too embarrassed, and 75% think there's nothing that can be done about it. And both of those, I hope, are always wrong because it's 100% treatable. You can, If you don't want to take any estrogen whatsoever, you can treat it with mineral oil. It will not reverse it, but it will make it feel better. And it's simple and something that everybody can, can buy and get access to. Um, but if you are willing to use estrogen down there that, and, and you don't even want it to go to the rest of your body, you can use it just locally and it won't go to your skin and your heart and your brain and all those other places. Um, and it'll just treat that. And the changes in the vagina are a thinning, a narrowing, a shortening, um, petechiae, which are a little bruising, um, loss of lubrication, loss of arousal, all of those things can happen, and actually your the labia down there can actually disappear. But it's 100% treatable by local estrogen. You can actually regrow labia that are absent. Hmm. And would that also, you know, what if it's not just dryness and sexual drive? Will the, the local estrogen provide, you know, help for that as well? For the sexual drive? Is that what you're asking? Yes. 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 In a way, yes, because it helps with comfort. It helps with it feeling, uh, you know, the feeling of intercourse. It helps with the arousal, and it helps with the lubrication. So sometimes treating just that much will help. At menopause, there's not a big change in your testosterone. It's slowly going down over time. And actually at menopause, 40% will have a decrease in libido and and not enough testosterone, 40% will be the same, and 20% will actually have a higher level because of the way the protein binds to it. Hmm, that is interesting. Yes. So what is, you know, in other words, let's talk about the delivery methods of hormones. Um, and, and, you know, do you rec- is it person by person with you as to what you would recommend? I mean, every situation is so different. So we have the transdermal uh, patch, you know, orally, uh, vaginal systemic and vaginal local. There's skin creams, nasal sprays, gels. What, you know, how do we kind of eliminate some confusion around this? Can you give us some guidance as to what works best for what? So we, of course, we've studied this extensively. And um, I think in the end, we we would strongly encourage women to use an FDA-approved product uh, for hormone therapy because the FDA, even though it's part of the government, yeah, we like to yell at the government and we're not always happy with them, but the FDA really does work to protect patients from misinformation and false advertising about pharmaceutical drugs. The FDA is not in bed with big pharma. In fact, they're constantly at war with each other, and, and I think it's a fair balance. Um, so if there's an FDA product that suits a woman's clinical needs, we think that is greatly superior uh, in proven safety and effectiveness than non-FDA approved products. So that being said, you know, for for a typical hormone therapy patient, um, we would always recommend that a person use the naturally occurring estrogen that the female ovary always makes, that's 17-beta-estradiol. 17-beta-estradiol does not really get absorbed well if you take it as a pill, but it gets absorbed great through the skin. So the leading products are a patch, a gel, or a spray, or a cream. Uh, They will get absorbed through the skin, 
and, and replenish the normal blood levels into the bloodstream. Uh, and it is exactly the same molecule, 17-beta-estradiol, that her body normally made. The oral uh, estrogens get metabolized by the liver and get changed before it actually gets out into the rest of the system. Then the old-style estrogens that we never recommend that have really no advantages that, that was studied in the WHI, which is another reason WHI uh-huh. is kind of inconsequential, that's you know, a conjugated equine estrogen, uh, and that's not a human estrogen. So 17-beta-estradiol through the skin is a, is a natural, bio-identical, I hate that word, uh, estrogen, and FDA products have a huge variety of types of products, delivery methods, as you said, it can be through the vagina as a gel or a cream or through, more conveniently through the skin or through a spray or a patch. Uh, and if a woman still has a uterus, then she needs to take progesterone to protect her uterus. And so there is one naturally uh, progesterone product, and that's an oral pill that a person would take uh, usually at nighttime. Progesterone through the skin doesn't reliably get absorbed, so we never recommend through the skin uh, progesterone. Those products are just not available, and of course there's no FDA through the skin progesterone product either. The old progestogens that were studied in the WHI, they're, they're artificial, non-human progestogens, uh, and that is the ones that were maybe slightly, possibly, if you squint and took sideways at the data, had a slight increase in breast cancer. But the oral natural progesterone, uh, the brand name is uh, Prometrium, does not have any of that associated increase in breast cancer from these huge uh, French studies. So that that's kind of the way we recommend it. If a woman needs uh, hormone therapy for menopause, she's symptomatic through the skin, um, uh, FDA-approved products, or oral prometrium if she has a uterus. That's okay. <laughs> no, it's a lot. It's it's a lot, and uh, and you know, everyone has to kind of go out and do their research about this, and and you know, before they go to their primary care physician, so they're aware of what the options are themselves and then get into an even larger discussion. But I love the book, and there are a lot of practical uh, things in the book for women, so I want to get to a little bit of that, too. A half hour just flies by. So, you know, what does a woman have to do to jump on your uh, woman of pause uh, makeover? What's the first step? Number one, she has to realize that this is a normal beginning and this is just the next step in life. And start it with... Going and exercise as if it was the most important thing in the whole world. And we're talking about 150 minutes a week minimum. And it can be in any combination. You can do it five days a week, six days a week. If you aim for seven, you probably will find it easier to get your 150 minutes in because then there will be a couple days you need to skip. And So it works out really well that way. Um, it's also best first thing in the morning because it gives you a high, and it's better than Prozac for the mood swings that you get during this time. Um, It's also good for the heart, of course. What it's not the best for, and people use it for, is to lose weight. It's good for almost everything but losing weight. It, it, It does not take the pounds off because you have to burn 3,600 calories to take off one pound. That would be a lot. Um, usually if you do a thing in the gym for an hour, you're going to possibly burn four or 500, not 3,600. So the way you have to lose the pounds, and which is important too, if you're overweight, for instance, 20 
20%, there's a 20-20 rule that if you lose 20%, then you also, um, if you lose 20 pounds, I'm sorry, you, you decrease your breast cancer by 20%. And people don't realize that there's actual things like that that they can do. Um, with exercise, for instance, it decreases breast cancer by 30% and also heart disease by 50%. So these are things that are really important, and it really changes the woman's life just with eating and exercising right. And, there's also and then, I, I'm sorry, go ahead, David. Sorry. And, and there's also a fair amount of evidence that, you know, really good um, lifestyle choices in menopause will reduce the actual symptoms of menopause, particularly the hot flashes, the night sweats, the insomnia, and the mood things. So it's not just good overall general health recommendations. It actually has direct effects on the menopause uh, transition itself. Yes, and then you were also mentioning in your book, and uh, this was pretty interesting, you know, just what I love about it, and everyone, you know, please remember to go to their website because on your interactive site, um, you give a lot of good information and just, you know, basic things about, um, you know, determining your percent of body fat and then what uh, percentage of body fat to shoot for. And if your waistline is greater than 35 inches, you know, which you measured right at the top edge of the belly button, you know, all these things are going to play into, you know, what kind of experience you have because there are a lot of great things about this time of life, you know, and, and I remember as a, as a young woman, I was always hearing about the fabulous, you know, knowledge that would be coming to me, and and it's true, but at the same time, you know, you really have to get yourself, you have to work harder to be in better shape, to eat right, and take care of yourself and be responsible for your health in order to enjoy the things that come along with, with this. What do you guys suggest um, to do about women who suffer from insomnia? Oh, we have a, a chapter all devoted to that because it is virtually a universal problem. And, you know, I, also I think it's interesting to look back and just think of when we look at menopause, we, we sort of get stuck on thinking of it as a, you know, a, a pituitary ovary uterus change, you know. And, and that's the way the, uh-huh. the researchers look at it, changing the hormones and all right. that. But for the woman experiencing menopause transition, it is a brain disorder. I don't. There's really no other good way to, to think about it. The brain is what thermoregulates a, a person, so the hypothalamus goes out of whack uh, and causing those changes in heat that, of course, are the classic symptoms. But there are tremendous, yeah. well-documented changes in moods and cognitive ability and sleep. All of those are very complex brain functions. So estrogen, you know, has uh, a lot of receptors in diffuse areas of the brain, and when that receptor, you know, fluctuates or goes down, then the brain, for the first step, it actually has a problem in uh, energy production within the neurons themselves because the brain is a pure glucose metabolizer. And estrogen, for some reason, is linked to that glucose transport in brain cells. And so when the estrogen is erratic, the brain actually, certain parts of the cells are not getting as much energy as they need and they malfunction. And we think that's really at the root cause of problems like insomnia and uh, cognitive things and uh, mood. So the insomnia thing, you know, we sort of always used to think it was related to hot flashes at night. Um, But when we really do the hot flash studies of women sleeping, women might wake up before a hot flash, after a hot flash, or during a hot flash. And even if they're not having hot flashes, 
they have wake-ups, difficulty sleeping, uh, early wake-ups. And so there's more than just a hot flash that drives insomnia. Okay. Also, you need to do things like take your TV out of the bedroom. You need to use your bedroom just for sleep and sex and do everything else somewhere else. Dim the lights, get the mood ready. Peanuts, milk, yogurt, and ibuprofen are all things that help you go to sleep and stay asleep for the night. So there's a lot of things women can do, and they need to take sleep importantly and and dedicate a full eight hours to it every single night. And in answer also to one of your earlier questions, I just wanted to mention that when you start the um, program, the actual Woman of Oz Challenge, we start with everything at once at the beginning of one month, and they do a W score, which puts all of the symptoms that they have all on one sheet, and they get a number, like minus 60 is a common number. And then we start with the vitamins, the sleep, the exercise, hormones if they want them, and um, antidepressants if they need them, and whatever that person exactly needs. And then recheck them four weeks later, and they are just shocked. They'll be minus two or minus three. I mean, it will just make a difference overnight, well, four weeks. (laughs) Well, it's part of it, what you're doing is is getting each individual to take stock of where they are and very specifically point out, you know, where they are in terms of the symptoms, you know, whether it's a one, two, and three being three the highest. So it's really taking stock of what's happening, which a lot of times I think people don't want to deal with it or push it down or they become in denial about it and say, I'll deal with this later. But it's important to take stock because until you start to do that, until you start measuring your waist and, and, you know, weighing yourself and looking at what kind of diet and looking at your sleeping habits and everything else that's involved, you're not going to be able to really get the proper care for yourself until you get to that honesty point about where you are right now. Well, and and sometimes, too, menopause, because it it does shake a a woman's body into consciousness, it's kind of a, a launching pad for realizing you know what their lifestyles are and and it's a it's a motivation time for them to you know maybe change things and you actually can feel sexier, keener, healthier at 60 than you did at 40 well that's good news <laughs> that's very that's excellent news well i i want to mention the um the website again so go to because there's a lot of information we can't possibly cover it all in this uh, 30-minute show, but go to Women of Pause. That's W-O-M-A-E-N-O-P-A-U-S-E book.com. And there you will find out more information about the good doctors as well as uh, their website is full of information uh, for you to check out and all of these uh, different um, programs that uh, Lavera and David have set up are really um, you know, fantastic to begin your journey uh, with. Um, and I can't believe that we're just a little under three minutes. So any last thoughts on what you would like to share with people out there that we haven't covered? There is one thing that we forgot to mention. With oral estrogen, two reasons not to use it. Um, Thromboembolism kind of problems, blood clot problems, are increased with oral. And also it does decrease sexual desire. So go to those skin products. That sounds good to me. Gray on the arm, a patch on the tummy, or a gel on the thigh. And they're all Mm -hmm. FDA approved. Excellent. 
And so, um, God, there was so much information to discuss today, but I want to thank you both for being on the program, Dr. Lavera Wolf-Miller and David C. Miller. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And their book, again, is Woman of Pause, and you can find out more information by going to www.womanopausebook.com. You can email the good doctors with your questions as well at womanopausebook@mac.com. And as I mentioned earlier, their website is full of information to check out. So once again, I hope that you will come back to the program because I would like to keep this um, topic going. And I'd like to have you like to have you back on the program to discuss the volunteer work you're doing in Haiti on another show. Um, your book also shares how you first met at a piano recital in the fifth grade. So I feel like there's a lot to discuss with you too. I hope you'll come back. We would love to. Thanks. Great. Thanks for being here. So, everyone, next week, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we will be celebrating stories of survival, life lessons, path of healing. <laughs> so get out your pink ribbon and wear them proudly uh, because, let's see, we have a guest, Marie Story, and Marie will discuss her combined use of holistic treatment and a new customized chemotherapy called chemosensitivity and resistance. She's in the Bahamas swimming with a dolphin. Tell us all about it. So I hope you'll tune in. We're going to have three shows about breast cancer awareness. This is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug uh, from behind the curtain. It's been great sharing this half hour. I hope you got some information that you can take with you. And um, thanks for tuning in. I'll be back next week, and I'll hope you join me. <laughs>